0: Well, to begin with, I want to thank you all for the uh, very kind invitation and reception that we have received already this morning, and it's uh, great to be here uh, in your presence and uh, to uh, bring the Word of God to you. And so, would you turn in that word to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. i going to read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I was uh, asked to preach on this passage, and this passage will be the uh, sort of the theme, uh, as I understand it, for uh, the week, uh, Mission Emphasis Week, and particularly in uh, verse 6. Uh, but I want to read from verses 1 through 9. And so let us quiet our hearts and hear the word of God. and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Well, let's ask God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, O Lord, that it is inspired by you and profitable for teaching and reproving and correcting and training in righteousness. O Lord, may that be true now. Here in this place, bless its proclamation may it be proclaimed clearly as it ought and faithfully. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are receptive, and may we, upon hearing, bear fruit to the glory of your name, 30-fold, 60-fold, even a hundredfold. For we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, here at First Chino, I look forward, I have looked forward to being with you, and I can honestly say that I have looked forward being with you for more than six years, because it was more than six years ago that I was invited to come to this Mission Emphasis Week in 2016 by Quentin Falconer, he contacted me, I was still in Kauai, he contacted me and he, was, he asked if uh, I would be willing to come in January of 2016 and uh, that was like in October of 15 and, uh, and I said, yeah, I'd love to uh, come out and so that was the plan and then in uh, early December, our uh, uh, planting church, uh, the tr- overseeing church of our church plant in Kauai, Uh, decided to uh, close us down. And uh, that was in December of 15, and uh, here I was supposed to be doing the mission emphasis here in in January of 2016, and uh, Pastor Quentin and I had a conversation and we felt it was best that probably at that point uh, it shouldn't happen. So, it's been six years since I had longed to come here and uh, uh, be with you for this mission emphasis week. And uh, what I intend to do is uh, to follow this passage, of course, uh, this, this morning and this service, but also to, e- even in this evening to focus on the God-centeredness of, uh, of church planting and church growth, that God is the one who gives the growth and that He does it His way. So I'm going to be focusing on that in, in this service and then in tonight's service. Uh, in the uh, Sunday school after this service... Uh, I'm just gonna be talking about how we ought to be churches that have a passion for outreach and missions. And then uh, this evening, as uh, uh, Pastor Niemeyer had said, then that I'll be just talking more, some of, the, some of the practical things of church planting that I've experienced and lessons learned in that. So uh, that's what I'm planning today. Uh, so let's focus upon that today Uh, we're talking about church planting and church growth uh, missions outreach we're talking about the fulfillment of christ's great commission to us that we go into this whole world to make disciples baptizing them and teaching them all that he has commanded and that happens of course locally it happens in the local church This uh, church growth happens here, but it also happens as we plant churches, and I commend you, uh, congregation, for your uh, efforts and and desire to plant a church in Santa Clarita. Uh, What a wonderful thing that is. And uh, uh, we have been praying for God's blessing on that labor. We also uh, see church growth happening as we send out missionaries and, and, uh, into the foreign field where the church is, is growing and we praise the Lord for that. We ought to be zealous for that. We ought to be zealous for planting and watering. Not as an end to itself. Not so that we can just have more people in the pews. Have bigger church buildings, not so that we can meet our budget or increase our budget. It's not for those purposes. But the purpose is, as Christ said, that we're making disciples, that we're bringing those who previously were lost and dead in their sins and bringing them into the church of Jesus Christ for the glory of Christ. The reason that we ought to have a passion for church growth is so that there would be more people joining us in singing praise to God, that God would receive the praise, that Christ would receive the glory. The reason that we want more people here is so so that there'd be more people bowing in reverence and in confession and in, in, in awe of who God is. That's why. And... Maybe it's important to make this distinction that, uh, and I want to make it, that there's a distinction between church growth and just numbers. When I was in Kauai, I thought, you know, I could probably bring a lot of people here if I, you know, hired a band and, uh, you know, had a praise music, uh, you know, a upbeat praise music in the morning. And, you know, kind of just tailor the ministry to what people might want. And probably I would have got more numbers. But is that truly church growth? And I think there's a distinction. Church growth is when we are making disciples, baptizing them, bringing them into the faith, discipling them in the Word, teaching them. So there is a distinction. But in all of this, what we want to focus on is that God gets the glory. God gets the glory. The church is God's field. The church is God's building. So we read in verse 9. And so I want to uh, approach this with three points. First is, God will not share his glory. That's the first point. The second is that God is glorified in equipping his servants. And the third is, God is glorified in growing his church. So God, God's glory will not be shared. God's glory is his alone. He is jealous for his own glory. It is steadfast. It is uncompromised. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. And in Isaiah 48, verse 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And the Corinthian problem here that we uh, uh, read in chapter 3, the Corinthian problem is that they were giving glory to others. And Paul very strongly reprimands them. And he says, you are still infants. You're still infants. Spiritual infants. Infants. In verses 1 and 2, he says, You know, when, when you first came to faith, when I proclaimed the gospel here in Corinth to you and you came into the church and you came to faith, of course you were infants. You were new to the faith. There's no surprise there. That's expected. That's normal. New believers coming into the church are spiritual infants. We expect that. But we need to get beyond that. And this is Paul's reprimand. I didn't look into it this morning. I didn't need to, but I assume that you have a nursery here in the church uh, where the infants and the very young children uh, go, uh, and that's normal. That's expected. But if you were to go down to the nursery right now, and you saw a grown man with his little binky uh, connected to his shirt, playing zoom zoom with with the Fisher-Price car and wearing diapers, I'm guessing you would think that's rather strange. That's, there's something wrong here. (laughs) And that's exactly what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. There's something wrong. You were infants, I get it, but by now you should have been beyond that. But I can't feed you meat. I can only use the, the milk bottle for you I can only feed you with milk you should have been beyond that and the reason that he says that at least one reason is because of the division and the quarreling and the pride that was happening in the church there was church division because Paul and Apollos who did not by the way cause the division Paul and Apollos were doing what the Lord had called them to do in the planting, in the watering, in the teaching, the preaching, the the shepherding of the flock. All of these things Paul and Apollos were doing, but these two leaders became flashpoints of pride and division in the church. And by the way, it isn't just chapter three. where the, the, the first three chapters of this epistle, Paul is dealing with that problem. Look at chapter one, uh, verses 11 and following. It says, It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? So church members are lining up behind their choice leaders. And that's causing division in the church. That's causing weakness in the body of Christ, resulting in quarreling and jealousies. Paul is the consummate teacher. Apollos apparently was a very polished preacher. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. But what was happening is these followers of their particular teachers were giving glory to the teachers and not to the God who gives the growth. That's the problem. That's why they were weak. That's why they were milk drinkers and not meat eaters. But God will not share his glory. God will not share his glory. And Paul, the apostle, sent to this church, speaking the word of God, reprimands them. This is not how it ought to go. And we need to take this seriously. As we think about just our church here, this church, as we think about the church generally, such attitudes of aligning ourselves with men will bring division and quarreling and weakness. It'll leave the church spiritually weak and anemic. Now, why is that important to know? Well, because a spiritually weak, anemic, infantile church is not gonna be effective in planting churches, Spreading the gospel in outreach. It's damaging to our witness. But when God is glorified, when there is a church that recognizes that, as Paul says, who is Paul, who is Apollos?" we're not anything. When, when the church recognizes that, and that God is the center, and that Christ has the preeminence, Well, then that church is healthy and mature and at a place to be effective in planting and watering. In the end of chapter 1, Paul says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because God will not share his glory. God's glory will not be shared. And Paul brings out here that God actually is glorified as... He equips his servants. In other words, when we talk about God giving the growth, that doesn't mean we just become couch potatoes, we sit back and we don't have anything to do. God equips his people, God equips leaders to do certain things. And that is God's intent, that is God's purpose. We should be about planting and we should be about watering. We're God's servants. This is how Paul describes himself. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants. It means we need to readjust maybe the, the way that we think about our leaders in the faith. Church leaders. Leaders in the church. They're servants. The word is table waiters. Really, it's what it's referring to, table waiters. We're not the honored guests here, Paul is saying. We're not the head of the table. We're not the owner of the house. We're not the master chef. We're just table waiters. That's what we are. We're servants. Table waiters, humble service. That's true of me and my labors in Denver right now. That's true of Pastor DeMeyer and Pastor Squeers. That's true of your elders. We're just table waiters. That's what we are. It's true of Michael Kalajian and Santa Clarita. Servants. Table waiters. Who are Conduits. Notice that, servants, verse 5, through whom you believed. Through whom. We're just conduits. We're servants through whom you believed. The power that brought you to faith, the power that brought you to salvation in Jesus Christ does not come from or reside in us, does not reside in any man, any human being. It flows through them like the water pipes in your home. We can be very thankful for the water pipes, but it isn't the water pipes that gives us life and refreshment. It's the water that flows through the pipes that for which we're most grateful, for which we're most thankful. And Paul and Apollos, that's what Paul is saying. We're just the pipes. It's just coming through us. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're not your savior. We're not the gospel. We're not the Holy Spirit. That's not who we are. We're not the source of power. We're just servants that God in his sovereign mercy has used to equip and to serve the food of his word. And in fact, he says in verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. So there's a, a unity. Rather than division, rather than jealousy and strife, there's unity. We are one, he says. Paul plants, Apollos watered, but we are one. Now what does he mean by that? And this Again, this is very important. As a church interested in missions, as you are, interested in church planting, as you are, this is so very important. We are one. Your leaders are one. They're, they're one in, in the message. Paul says earlier, I, I preach Christ crucified. I mean, nothing else. That's is Christ crucified. That's the message that we bring to you. That's the message that we preach. And we need to be united in that. That needs to be the center of, 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 of what we proclaim, what we preach is Christ, Christ crucified. Dear brothers and sisters, just recall, I, read, I, I preached recently through the book of Revelation in my home church. And when you come to, to the end, of course, it's glorious and John is given this vision of the bride of christ an angel says let me show you the bride and he takes him up and then it says and john says i looked and behold the holy city the new jerusalem the 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 holy city the new jerusalem is the bride the bride is the city and it goes on and says that there's nothing unclean that can enter that city Nothing that defiles can enter that city. Now the problem is, there's no one righteous. (laughs) No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the tragedy of life here on this earth. That's the tragedy of being human, of being sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. There's no one righteous. No, not one. So how can I, one of these no, not ones, how can I, who's sinner who who is defiled, unclean be received into that holy city, into the new Jerusalem? How can I have that eternal blessedness with God for all eternity? How does that happen if nothing unclean can enter that city? That's Revelation 21-27. Nothing unclean. And the answer is that God in love sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, took on our flesh and took my sins upon Himself, my uncleanness, my defilement. He took on Himself and He bore the punishment and the wrath of God for me and for you, for all who believe. And not only that, but His Perfect obedience and His righteousness is granted to us. It's given to our account so that when we are before the the, the throne of God, God looks upon us and He sees us righteous in Christ, cleansed. We're, We're dressed in His robes of righteousness. And we are welcomed into that eternal blessedness. In fact, that verse goes on. Revelation 21, 27. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life because they've been cleansed. They've been washed by the Lamb. That's the message we preach. That's the message we proclaim. We preach Christ crucified. And Christ, there's no other name under heaven by which man might be saved but the name Jesus Christ. That we proclaim. Him we proclaim. We're one in message. There's a unity there. We're one in purpose to build up people so that, they can, so that they know Christ, so that they believe in Christ and are growing in the faith so that Christ has the preeminence. We're one in dependence. We're dependent on Him, the one spring of life, and one in love. Love for the Lord who redeemed us and love for the congregation whom we serve. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Well, we are one, we're not divided. God is glorified in equipping his servants. And thirdly, God is glorified in in, in growing his church. Paul is determined to drive this point home in this passage. God is the sovereign one. God is the source. God is the one who gives growth. It's God who brings people to faith. We always must remember that. No matter what efforts we do in church planting, in in outreach, in mission, evangelism, it's God Finally, who changes hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We cannot do that. It is God who does that. God brings people to faith. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. We're servants through whom you believed. You believed as the Lord assigned to each. What Paul is saying is if you see a difference between how people respond to Paul and how people respond to Apollos, God assigned those differences. <laughs> if you see differences and if you like one more than the other, that's, that means nothing. God is the one who assigned those differences. God is the one. The Lord gives faith to whom He will, whether it's through Paul or Apollos or whoever. Don't forget that. God assigns that response. God is the one who gives the faith. And verse 6 is making the very same point. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. But God gave the growth. It's making this. The very same point is verse 5. And the planting and the watering are important. That is the, the preaching, the teaching, the teaching. Uh, the discipling, the shepherding, the nurturing. These are all God ordained means. The effect of planting is faith, belief. The effect of watering is faith, it's belief. But the ultimate cause, not the effect, the ultimate cause, of that faith and belief, it's not the planting, it's not the watering. The ultimate cause is God himself by his Holy Spirit working and bringing to life that soul that was dead. It is God. God is sovereign, God is supreme, and God gets the glory. So important. And it's so important you know, for me as a pastor to remember that, for my brothers here who are pastors to remember that, and elders and those who labor among the congregation. It's so important to remember that God is supreme in pastoral ministry and in pastoral leadership. God is supreme in the planting and, and the watering that takes place. God is supreme in the ministry of the church in causing faith and giving growth. God is the one. And so God brings people to faith, and again, Paul is driving this home, and he drives it home in another way as well. He says in verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Paul, Apollos, we're nothing. (laughs) We're nothing. How could he say that, actually, when elsewhere he says that we're to honor those who are uh, in positions of, of... Leadership and ministry in the church. He says that in Philippians 1, 29 about Epaphroditus, that we are to hon- he should be honored. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13, esteem your leaders very highly in love because of their work. And here he says, we're, we're not anything. We're nothing. How are we to reconcile that? And I guess uh, the best way to understand that is to just recognize that the the nothingness that he is describing here does not take away from the honor. The nothingness does not remove the honor. In a sense, when you think about John the Baptist, he was most honorable, <laughs> seems to me, when he said, looking to Jesus, the Lamb of God, he must increase and I must decrease. That was his greatest honorable moment. He must increase and I must decrease. <coughs> the nothingness does not remove the honor, but in the church we are more honorable as we decrease and as God increases. Paul isn't saying that he who, the one who plants or the one who waters has no honorable role to play. That's not at all what Paul is saying here. But compared to God's role in the church, it's nothing. Compared to the bright, shining light of the glory of God and what he does in the church, this little light of mine just doesn't cut it. (laughs) It just sort of gets carried in to that great glorious light. And he says, we are God's fellow workers, verse nine. The idea, by the way, is possessive. We are God's fellow workers. Uh, Apollos and I, he is saying, are fellow workers with each other who belong to God. So he's not saying we're God's fellow workers in the sense that there's Apollos and there's Paul and there's God, that we're, he's the third one. Uh, That's not at all what he's saying. We are God's possessive fellow workers. God is supreme. God is sovereign. The planter and the waterer are gods. And brothers and sisters, so are you. Each and every one of you. You are gods. The church is gods. It's God's field. It's God's building. You belong to God. God is the one giving the growth in his own field. God is building the church as his own temple. But you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. You don't belong to your leaders, to your pastors, to your elders. You don't belong to them. You belong to God because you belong to Christ. Those who are worshiping in Santa Clarita today, they don't belong to you. They don't belong to their leaders. They also belong to God. They are his. That too is is his building and his field. And that's a good thing. (laughs) That's a good thing. Because That is our confidence. Because it is God who gives the growth. And because God gives the growth, he gets the glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for correcting errors and uh, those wrong places that we tend to go when we look at leaders and When we think about church planting thank you lord for this passage to help us understand foundationally what is taking place and as we consider more deeply these things we pray lord that we would have greater understanding and give you the glory heavenly father we thank you for jesus christ We thank you that he is head of the church. We thank you that the gates of hell will not stand, not prevail, that the church will continue forever with Christ. So hallelujah, what a savior. Lord, we thank you, amen. Well, let's sing together number 287 in your Trinity Psalter hymnals, number 287. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore His sacred name. We'll sing the five stanzas. Let's stand to sing the five stanzas of number 287. receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.